again. Uh, it is great to be here. Uh, we won't let any kind of technical glitches keep us down, any time changes keep us back. You all look, most of you look very refreshed, but uh, pets and young kids do not know that we gained an hour, right? Uh, they were just up and at them, nice and early. But uh, we're glad that you are here. Welcome to all of you that are in the room. And hello, if you're joining us live online right now, we are so glad that you are. And anyone uh, joining us a little bit later on in the week online, we're grateful. There are so many ways for us to engage with each other. want to say a special welcome to any guests that may be with us today. We have prayed for you. We really want this time to be low pressure environment for you and so we've developed a few avenues uh, to serve you and answer any questions that may arise today in fact the next few minutes are primarily for you our, our guests there are two ways for you to share information if you are a guest and we don't want you to share information uh, so that we can hound you or you know put you on some kind of junk email list or anything like that our primary goal is to serve you and so we'd love to connect with you uh, if you would like to share information with us in the seat back in front of you there is a hard copy uh, a card that you can fill your information and put that in the offering box in the back on your way out um, but the second way to do that is digitally or electronically and if you'd like to complete an info card that way you can do so on the next steps page of our website uh, or by using the Uversion app and if you choose to use the Uversion app instructions on how to do that are up on the screen right now the app is incredible it's so useful for so many things during our gathering uh, you can follow along you can take notes you can even give that way uh, you can also make centerway your church on there and if you do so you can connect with other people uh, that call centerway their church and keep up with reading plans and a whole bunch of other things on there now i already mentioned giving through the app for sure and of course we do not expect any of our guests to give uh, but if you call centerway your home uh, and you attend regularly you prefer not to use the app you can use an envelope in front of you and place that in the centerway offering box as well or give by going to the give tab of our website uh, now, today is week seven of our series called Being Built. I can't believe we're seven weeks in already. We're going through the first seven chapters of the book of Nehemiah. And if you are interested in the back, there are free journals to use throughout this and future series in Nehemiah. If you are watching online uh, and you would like one, please email us and we will for sure send you one. As always, uh, we will have resources for this series so you can connect and engage throughout the week. We have wallpapers for your devices. Uh, we have uh, a Spotify playlist, social media channels, and Monday, Wednesday, Friday devotionals that you can subscribe on the website or use the info card there to, to check out. Visit the messages page of the website to access those resources and uh, even more. Now. One of the things that we absolutely believe here at Centerway is that each and every one of us that can hear my voice has a next step in their journey with Jesus. Uh, if you're looking to take that next step, you can visit the Next Steps area in the back um, uh, or that page of our website. There are such a number of ways to continue to learn to follow Jesus, and we'd love to help you in that journey as well. If You can check out the calendar page of our website too. We have a lot of upcoming events and activities coming up, but a few that I do want to point out right now uh, are that if you have students in grades 7 through 12th grade, uh, winter retreat is coming up in January. Details are on the calendar page for that. You will not want to miss that, or at least your, your teenagers won't. Uh, and it, uh, all 
Also on the calendar page is information about our Advent worship night, uh, our Christmas gathering, and more. So please feel free to go check that out. Uh, we have some exciting ways coming up to serve our communities as well uh, uh, here in town and around the world. First up is Operation Christmas Child that delivers gifts and shoeboxes to kids who may never receive this kind of love or attention. Uh, it's an opportunity for them to meet Jesus as well. And there's a table in the lobby with information and details on how you can participate. So you can check that out. There's also an option to build an online box if you prefer to do that. And uh, the QR code, you can go to the pages on our screens as well. Uh, in the lobby, on the sign, on the calendar page, there's a lot of ways to connect with that for sure. And the deadline to bring your boxes in is a couple weeks away. It's Sunday, November 19th. Now, the second opportunity that we have is with our annual One Day to Feed the World offering for Convoy of Hope uh, to partner with uh, the work that they're doing in the United States and around the world. If you're not familiar with that, it's approach, It's the approach that we take uh, where you give one day's wage uh, to change the everyday of people around the world. Now, you don't have to give the equivalent of one day's wage. In fact, one of some of the most miraculous and amazing stories here at Centerway are kids that obviously don't have a job, don't have a day's wage, but they uh, figure out really creative ways to fundraise and bring their money in. Uh, and so there's cool ways to uh, participate, whatever that would look like for you. Whatever anyone gives, such an amazing opportunity to steward our time and our treasure and to bless the communities around the world. Now, if you have questions, if you have feedback for us, ideas, or just need prayer for anything at all, you can email us at connect at centerwaychurch.com. That's connect at centerwaychurch.com. Now, here's what to expect for the rest of our gathering today. Claude will be communicating from the Bible. And then after he does, we're going to uh, respond to the word by worshiping through singing. Can we pray together? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, that uh, nothing surprises you, Lord Jesus, that the fact that we're in this place watching online, whatever it may look like, God, uh, isn't a shock to you, Lord, but you knew it before the foundation of the world. And so today, in this moment, God, we give you our time. We give you our day. We give you whatever it is uh, that you uh, want from us, Lord Jesus, so that we can have an open hand and open heart to receive it all. God, we pray that there would be uh, such a peace in this place, such a joy in this place, Lord God. God, that your word uh, would reveal and expose things that shouldn't be there, but also bring comfort and bring clarity, Lord God, to the things that need to be clarified. We love you and we thank you and ask for your blessing today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Eric. Thank you, everyone, for uh, bearing with us in the beginning there as we worked out some technical difficulties. Love technology, right? so convenient until it's not. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my name's Claude, and my wife Meredith and I are the lead pastors here at Centerway, and just want to welcome you. Excited that you had the opportunity to be with us. Um, we're continuing our journey through the rest, uh, through the first uh, seven chapters of Nehemiah, as has already been mentioned, and today our focus is on chapter six, specifically. Uh, the series is entitled Being Built, and today's talk is entitled With Clarity. So we are being built by God with clarity. And I was tempted to entitle this week's uh, talk with focus, because I, th I think in a lot of ways, you know, focus and clarity run parallel. Uh, but the reality is that uh, we can sometimes focus on the wrong things. And so uh, if we're being built with focus uh, and we're focusing on the wrong things, uh, that could be obviously very 
problematic. Uh, what we actually need is for God to provide us with clarity. When he provides us with clarity, then we can focus on the right things. We can focus on the right things instead of what's right before us. And uh, it's really easy to become myopic and just focus on the thing right before us. And um, God wants to provide some clarity. Uh, then there's the reality of how we can get distracted, right? So we have clarity and then we can also get distracted. I am, I am so difficult to distract. <laughs> Why is everybody laughing? I don't understand. Uh, no, I, uh, I am definitely easily distracted. And um, we're going to talk about distraction on a on more of a broader sense rather than just the, the ease in which one can be distracted, <laughs> thankfully. Otherwise, that would be a really lengthy message about the issues that I have. Um, I want to start actually with by asking a question. I want to ask a question, and the question is this. Why is it so easy to be distracted? Why is it so easy to be distracted? And as I've already kind of joked, as someone that can get distracted easily, I'm submitting to you the idea that it's so easy to be distracted because we lack clarity on what we should be focused on, okay? We lack clarity on what we should be focused on. And as you'll see, I'm not talking about the the way that you can be distracted in a moment. I'm talking about being distracted within the rhythms of your life on a broader scale. I'll get to that. Everything and everybody in our lives is fighting for our time. It seems like they want our attention. If only for self-serving reasons, they want our attention in that moment, or sometimes it's because it can be monetized, right? So things get pushed to us through social media, on television, all these different things. Everybody we interact with trying to sell us something, get us to buy something, spend some time captured by them. It's all about our attention and our time. So what truly matters? What is it that really matters? What is it that is deserving of our time and our attention? What should we focus on? Interestingly enough, uh, struggle and difficulty often provides clarity. I, I know we don't like that, right? But it's the reality of the, the life that we live. When there's something that's hard, when there's a struggle, when there's a difficulty, suddenly we start to, to focus in. I've been with people in the darkest moments of their life, and it's funny how uh, uh, suddenly they have complete clarity about what really matters in this world. The time that they have left, the thing that deserves their attention, all of a sudden they lean in. Why? Because they're focused. They're focused. I've never heard of somebody getting distracted while saving someone's life. <laughs> you know, I started to, to perform CPR, but then I got an Instagram notification. So I was like, what? Oh my gosh, I haven't seen them since high school. <laughs> we laugh, but that would be horrifying, right? Like nobody gets distracted in critical moments. Why? Because in those critical moments, there's crystal clarity. This is urgent. This matters. This is important. Why does it take us those moments in order to gain clarity? It's kind of sad, right? That in other ways, in other rhythms, in other paths of our life, we can just get lulled to sleep into the rhythm and, and just lose focus only to wake up at some point and be like, oh my gosh, where has the time gone? Why didn't I focus on the things that actually mattered? Is it possible that our lives are being passed by with this driven for attention focus, distracted constantly around every little thing only to at some day realize I should have focused on something else. 
That's a horrifying thought. Clarity of mission provides focus. Clarity of mission provides focus. When we know this matters, when we know that it's important, we have a lean in, whether it's a critical moment or whether it's just something where we know this requires our undivided attention. It provides focus. If you get distracted, you're either looking for a distraction. Some of us are guilty of that. I just want to distract. I want to pretend like the responsibilities that I have in this life are non-existent. You know, I just need to check out. So we're either looking for a distraction or we don't realize the importance of the moment. You lack clarity around the importance of remaining focused. That's when we get distracted. When we don't understand why it matters to be present in that moment, why it matters to focus on this, why it matters to have all hands on deck. To be clear, as I've already mentioned, but I just I want to be crystal clear on this. I'm not talking about like my momentary distractions. I'm not talking about the, the way in which you can be easily distracted in a moment. I'm talking about something deeper. I'm not talking about learning disabilities. I know sometimes some of us have learning disabilities and we have ADD and ADHD and all of those things. Some people take medication. I'm not talking about focus in that sense. I'm not talking about how people struggle to focus in a moment. I mean focus on a larger level that is universal, that's connected to how we live our lives, how we live our lives. And so I think I cast that net pretty largely when I talked about reflecting back on our lives about what it is that got our attention or got our time. I'm talking on that scale. You see, without clarity around why we are doing what we are doing, it will be easy for others to distract us from what matters. Isn't it interesting that we have the ability to distract ourselves? (laughs) Others have the ability to distract us. And so we have this commodity that is our one and only life and everyone is trying to spend it for us the time is ticking away and what is it that you will leverage your one and only life do you have clarity about what you should lean in on clarity around why we are doing what we are doing without that it will be easy for others to distract us from what actually matters get this If you lack clarity, someone or something else will dictate the direction of your life. That should unsettle you a little bit. That should unsettle you because I I, I talked a lot about that when I was in youth ministry. My wife and I were youth pastors for about 10 years, about a decade. And we would talk a lot about the direction of their life. We were talking to these students about the direction of their one and only life. And we would say things like, you know, uh, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. You hear those things in different talks. And the reality is those you allow to influence you will direct the path of your life. Why? It's because they provide clarity or they provide this thing called peer pressure, right? And, And it's amazing how if I reflect back on my life, some of the ridiculous things that I did because I was dared to. Because somebody challenged me to do it. You know, like, that's impossible. You can't do that. You can't eat that. I mean, I sat present when a lot of people were dared to drink a gallon of milk. You know, they're like, you can't do that. Like, yes, I can. And like, you can't. I know there's some of you that are probably like, I can. 
please let me know when you want to try. <laughs> you vomit uncontrollably, and it is a remarkable sight. I mean, it's disturbing, but it's amazing because... It's, Anyway, your body can't handle that much dairy. It's a proven fact. I mean, unless you're like in the 1%, but you're not. Um, I've never met anybody. Uh, it's amazing. So th- there are these things that you spend windows of your time. Like, I'm going to do this. I'm sure. Like, does that matter? Does it matter? Is it worth moments of your life? Is it worth your focus? Is it worth your time? Is it worth your energy? If you lack clarity someone or something else will dictate the destination of your life. I had an acquaintance growing up. He was a friend of a friend. He had some uh, peripheral connections to us. He was driving down a road that connected uh, the community that I lived in to a neighboring community. And I wasn't present for this, but the way that the story goes is they were headed down this road and it was a road that was typical that, uh, teenagers would speed down that would, they would race down this road. Very stupid. Um, and he was dared at one point, there was a friend that was in front of him and, uh, the dare was to pass him over the double yellow lines. And they were in excess of 60, I think uh, it was somewhere between 70 and 80 miles an hour that they were actually going. And uh, they came over the crest of a hill, crossed a double yellow line on a dare and hit a car coming over the other side head on. Now, thankfully, I share that story because no one died. Um, uh, Miraculously, uh, no one died. But the trajectory of his life was changed. He ended up in a body cast and uh, all the way up to like his neck. It was crazy. And it changed the rhythm of his life. It sent him down a different direction. It had impact in his athletic ability, in his engagement in school, all of these things. The direction of his one and only life. Why? Because of a dare. Because of a dare. But was it really the dare? Or was it that he lacked clarity about what matters in this world, right? When we give in to those moments of pressure, when we give in to those moments of direction, when we turn over the future of our lives, it's because we lack clarity about the things that matter. How easy would it have been for him to say, I don't care what you think. I'm not going to pass this dude. I don't want to die today. He also impacted the trajectory of the person's life who he had on. Like I said, thank God they weren't killed, but the ripple effect of the decision, why? Because he lacked clarity. You see, I don't mean a momentary distraction because we could also tell a story like, oh, he was changing, I'm gonna date myself, a CD in his car and all of a sudden lost attention or an eight track. No, I didn't have, I actually had an eight track player in my first car. It's pretty awesome. Anyway, I didn't have any eight tracks, but I had a player. Uh, the, uh, I'm not talking about momentary distractions. I'm not talking about like something that happens that takes our attention. I'm talking about him going down this road and a friend saying, do it, do it. And a car being like, come on, man, you can do it. And him feeling the pressure and the tension, and lacking the clarity of the implications on his life, and making an informed decision, not fully informed, obviously, but a decision to say, I am going to do this. It's different than a momentary distraction. I want to submit to you that we are confronted with those types of clarity moments more often than we like to admit. Things that direct the pathway of our lives. 
the decisions that reveal a lack of clarity about what matters. And today's text addresses the very human tension of clarity directing the actions of our life. In chapter 6, Nehemiah kind of sees this amazing moment. And if you haven't been with us for this journey, you can always check out on the website the, the messages prior, the talks prior, if you want to understand where we're at. It's too much content for me to kind of uh, review. But he's in the midst of getting closer and closer to completing a wall that he has been, that he has determined that he will build. The Lord has called him to build this wall around the city of Jerusalem. And he's getting really close to its completion. And he sees both the progress and the need for more work to be done. He has clarity. He has clarity from God that provides him the ability to focus on what mattered. And so that's what I want us to kind of look at as we move through the text today. I want us to to look at the clarity that he has and what it looks like to live a life with clarity. Because as a result of the clarity that he had, he had the ability to decipher when he was being trapped, when he was being distracted, and even when he was being deceived. That kind of seems impossible for our lives, doesn't it? (laughs) It's like, how could I possess that ability? How could I get to a place in my life where I can actually decipher when someone's like, hmm, you are deceiving me. I know it. You know, I don't know what that was. <laughs> it just seemed like something that I should do if you could somehow mysteriously understand that. Like, we think that there's something mystical about that ability. Something that is uh, supernatural, that can't be attained, that, that somehow Nehemiah was superhuman. But we also know, if you've been journeying with us, that, that Nehemiah was very human and very flawed at that. He was very much like every person in this room. So how is it possible that he had that type of clarity? The reality is, Nehemiah, the way that he gains clarity is that he simply uses God's will as his decision-making grid. So that's not super mystical. That's not like, oh my gosh, that's impossible to understand or comprehend. He uses God's will as his decision-making grid. Let's look at it beginning of verse 3. Verse 3 um, he, uh, it says, and I sent messengers, oh, I'm sorry, I, should, I didn't set this up a little bit. So he's in the midst of, uh, of completing this wall. He's getting closer and closer. And the people that are opposing him are trying to distract him from completing this critical moment. And so they're doing everything that they can to distract him and say, listen, why don't you come here and talk to us? Why don't you talk to us for a while about some things that we're really concerned about? We want to do you a favor. We're on your side. And so he's responding to these people that are trying to distract him. And he says in verse three, and I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Clarity. He has crystal clarity here. When you're on mission, when you're following the will of God, when you know the purpose that God has for your life, when, not if, when distractions come, will you be able to say, I simply can't come down. I can't be distracted. I'm doing something eternal. I know that this is God's purpose and will for my life. And I think if we back it up a little bit, some of the issue when it comes to clarity is understanding what's God, what is God's will. How does that play out? What does that look like 
in the rhythm of my life. So I want to submit to you that focus comes with clarity of mission and purpose. The will of, you, of God's, God's will for your life is that you live in line with the way that he wired you to bring him glory. Our mission, all of our mission is to make disciples of Jesus. That we would leverage our time, our talent and treasure to further what it is that God is doing in this world. And if we think like life is just about running on a hamster wheel, then we'll try to get as many toys as we can only to realize that we don't have enough toys and we'll be uh, really unhappy at every turn and we'll be displeased by what it is that we still need and what we never have and we'll look around and we'll look at the injustice of the world and we'll draw conclusions about how God is failing instead of realizing that God has strategically placed us through the empowerment of the truth of the gospel to live on mission that maybe the people in need have been placed in proximity to us so that we could meet that need. And maybe we would live for a purpose greater than ourselves. But that comes with clarity. That comes with clarity around mission. That comes with the idea of stewardship, of the fact that what we have is greater than just for us to gather. You see, from this world's perspective, Nehemiah left the great work. Like, he says to these people, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. From the world's perspective, Nehemiah was in the king's court. He was the second most influential person in the nation. In this powerful nation of Persia, he's the number two guy. He has all this authority, and yet he leaves the great work to do what it is that God called him to do. And what he's clarifying here is that when, when you have an eternal and spiritual perspective, God's will is the great work. God's, God's will is the great work. When you're part of something eternal, you have purpose and you simply can't come down. You can't be distracted by the worries and the cares of this world. But we live in the tension there. The tension of the world we live in. The expectations, the distractions of the world. Their definitions of success. Their definitions of meaning. Their definitions of greatness. Man, if you could just aspire to be in the king's court, why would you ever leave that? Verse 4 goes on and says, And then they, in response to him, sent to me, meaning Nehemiah, four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. What I think is interesting and important about this verse is that a persistent distraction is still just a distraction. And the reason why that's important to understand is because sometimes we give in to persistency. And if you parent a child, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Can I have this? Can I have this? Can I have this? Just give it to them! <laughs> like, what? You said no seven times. Like, I know, I just can't hear it again. <laughs> and sometimes we function that way in our lives. Like, hey man, just pass the car. Or just do it, just pass the car. No, I'm not going to pass the car. Just pass, come on. We can do it, we can do it. We get past him. Oh my gosh, it's so awesome. Just go past him. No, I'm not going to. Come on, do it, do it, do it. All right, fine. And you gun it on the next hill. Boom. Persistency is not the will of God. Sometimes people just, they give in. Like, yeah, I know, but 
It just seemed like at every turn, it kept coming up, it kept coming up. So, I mean, I figured I would give my entire life to it. Wow. Sometimes, in fact, persistent distractions that are spiritual in nature show us the true colors of what's actually at play. When you continue to resist the distractions, suddenly the persistency of those distractions reveal what they're really about. And what this becomes for Nehemiah is actually a threat. As persistent as it was, it suddenly becomes a threat. And we see that in verses five through seven. It says this, in the same way, Sam Ballot, for the fifth time, persistent, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, it is reported among the nations and Geshem also saying it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, there is a king in Judea, in Judah, sorry. And now the king will hear of these reports, meaning the king of Persia. So now come and let us take counsel together. Let me help you help you. Let me help you help you. Nobody? All right, that's a movie quote. Anyway, trust me, it was funny. Moving on. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the fact is, he's in this tension. He's being persistent five times now. And what is important that we might not understand in kind of our Western perspective is it says in the beginning here, and beginning of verse five, it says that it was in a written letter, uh, an open letter. So what does an open letter mean? In that day and time, when a governor was communicating to another governor, which Sam Ballot is the governor of Samaria, and uh, Nehemiah is the governor of this region. Uh, the king made him that governor. And so when they communicated governor to governor, there was a letter that would be written, and then it would be sealed. It would be sealed because it would be a personal communication from governor to governor, and someone would come and deliver it. And so it, it brings some clarity here to say he received an open letter. Because an open letter, when it was received without a seal, at any community that it was brought into, the person carrying that letter was to declare the contents of the letter, reporting it to everyone at every community in between. So what this means is, this has gone from, hey, I really think we should meet, I really think we should meet, to like this threat of like, oh, did I forget to seal it? Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. And what has happened is every community between where Sam Ballot was and Nehemiah has heard this letter being read of Nehemiah saying that he wants to be the king of Judah. And like, listen, I just want to help you. I just want to help you. We should really talk about this. People have read it by design. And so now it has gone from just a distraction to lies and false accusations. None of us are guilty of that in this. Like, I've never had lies said about me or false accusations. <laughs> right? We know what this is like. We know what it's like to have lies spoken about us. We know what it's like to have a false accusation, to have it be kind of trumpeted at every turn and to be like, I can't believe that everyone has heard this lie about me. 
Sometimes our need to confront lies or defend ourselves take us off mission. Think about that. We can actually be taken off mission through, the, through what we would believe to be the noble motivation of just clarifying that there's been lies about me. That need to clarify is actually a tactic. It's a tactic of distraction. It's an easy trap to fall victim to because we think that we're setting the record straight, but the reality is we're functioning out of fear of humanity instead of fear of God. I care more about what other people think than I care about the mission that God has sent me on. Think about that. That we can be so consumed with what other people think about us that we actually elevate the value of their perspective of us than the value that we have on God's perspective of us. That's sin. That's brokenness. To say, I care more about what people think of me than I care about what God thinks of me. That's a pride issue. Because it changes our focus. Are you living with clarity? Are you living with clarity? Are you trying to defend yourself? You see, if we're being built with clarity... We put things through the decision-making grid of the gospel. And we can address lies without coming down. Nehemiah says, hey, that's a lie. While he's still doing the will of God. So I'm not saying sit there and condone the accusations being made. I'm saying don't come down from the work that God has set your hands to. It's real easy to say, yeah, that's not true, but I'm not going to be distracted by it. I'm going to continue to do the work that I've been called to do. I can't come down. Like, oh, but I heard, oh, but I heard, well, that's not true. I'm still doing the work that God has called me to do. You see, because someday we will stand before God concerning the mission of making disciples of Jesus. Someday we will stand before him. Jesus laid down his life. You see, we are all sinners, and we can attempt to try to make ourselves right before God, but every one of our attempts and efforts fall short. And that ultimately, the only way that we can come into relationship with God is to be without sin, and in and of ourselves, we can never accomplish that. And so God, knowing that, stepped into time. And Jesus, the Son of the living God, lived the life that you and I could not and died the death that our sins deserve. And in doing so, in that moment, he reconnected our relationship with the living God. And so because of the person and work of Jesus, because of the gospel, we can now come boldly to the throne of God. And Jesus, after he died, he rose again, having victory not only over sin, but death. And when we look at the transfiguration in scripture, we see that Jesus looks at the disciples and before he leaves, he looks at them and he could have said a million different things. I want you to do these 100 things. I want you to do these five things, these three things. And he would have written them down, but he doesn't do that. He looks at them and he tells them one thing. He says, go and make disciples. In some circles, we've heard that used as a call to missions, that the, that the action there is to go, but it's not. In the original text, go is a participle. It means as you are going. What's the command? Make. The command is make. 
So as you are going, make what? Disciples of Jesus. So we have been called to do one thing. Make disciples. What are you doing with the one thing that God asked you to do? Are you making disciples? And sometimes in our mind, we picture like this group of people that follow us around like, these are my disciples. No. I'm talking about your sphere of influence. The people that God has placed close to you, are you discipling your children? Are you discipling your nieces, your nephews, your grandchildren? Are you discipling your spouses? Are you discipling your friends, your family? Are you living the gospel out in every sphere of influence that God puts you in? Because it's possible that someday, because of the decision that you have made to surrender your life, and I know there's a mixture of people in the room as there is every week, but for those of us that have surrendered our life to the person and work of Jesus, and we have asked him to be the Lord and Savior of our life, we will stand before him someday, and we could be like, man, I made it. My get out of hell free card, if you will. Like, I'm in heaven, but that's not the goal. It's possible it is possible that God would look at you and say, what did you do with the one thing I asked? The one thing I commanded? Who did you disciple? Clarity of mission. That's clarity. Like, I don't know what God's will is for my life. Make disciples. No, but I, I mean, I don't know if I should be, uh, you know, uh, an instructor or if I should be a fireman or if I should be a teacher. Like, make disciples. Wherever it is you go. Whatever it is that you're doing. Go and make disciples to the point where you can't come down. Oh, but there's accusations and there's this pulling at me. Yeah, they're lies. Are you distracted by the lies of your life? Or are you leaning in with clarity to the purpose of what God has called you to do and be? We will stand before God concerning the mission of making disciples of Jesus, not how we defended ourselves against lies. Like Jesus isn't going to look at you and be like, hey, so tell me, did you set Martha straight? I mean, come on, because she was dropping some lies, right? <laughs> Up top, yeah, boom. Okay, so what'd you do? Like, come on. But we will refocus our lives. We will, we will lose sleep at night <laughs> trying to right some great injustice. What? When was the last time you couldn't sleep? Because God had placed somebody strategically in your life that needed to know the hope and joy of Jesus Christ. When was the last time you lost sleep at night because you're like, listen, there's a divine appointment and I need to be a person of hope and grace in the midst of this brokenness? Are you being wrecked by the right things? Are you being distracted by the to-do lists and the stuff that's like, oh my gosh, who cares? And I'm not saying that we shouldn't do a good day's work. We should. Because I think that's a testimony of our life. So I'm not trying to tell you to dismiss the responsibilities you have in your life. I'm saying put it in line with the call and the mission that you work maybe because God strategically placed you in that sphere of influence so that you could have influence over people that no one else would have access to. Clarity. It's clarity. Verses 8 and 9 go on. It says, then I said to him, no such things you say have been done for you are inventing them out of your own mind <laughs> for they all wanted to frighten us thinking 
Their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, oh God, strengthen my hands. So Nehemiah looks at him and says, tell him he's making that stuff up in his mind. But he keeps building the wall. And what does he do? He says, God, strengthen my hands. Let me work harder. Let me be focused. Let me lean in. Let me be encouraged. The strengthening of the hands like we talked about. He identifies the lie while continuing to do what God called him to do and what he prays. Can we get into the rhythm of our life where when lies come, we say, that's a lie. I'm gonna continue to do the will of God. But Lord, would you work on my behalf? Would you take up the battle that I cannot because I am busy doing what it is you've called me to do? So we will identify the lies, but replace them with the truth of the gospel. But let me ask you this. Are you derailed by lies? I want to challenge you. Continue. Continue to do the work and pray that God will give you clarity, that he would transform your heart. And he'll help you realize that your value and your purpose, your capacity to be loved It's not attached to what other people think of you, but it was resolved at the cross. You are valuable. You are lovable. You are important because Jesus laid down his life for you. That's how loved you are. And so you don't have to look for love and approval in this world. The gospel should inform your identity. The story actually goes on. He meets with someone else who articulates that He's an agent of the Lord. And he tells him, he says, Nehemiah, listen, there's a plot to kill you. And then he gives him some advice. He says, I really think you should go inside the temple and shut the doors. Just hide in the temple. Inside Jerusalem, the temple had been completed during the time of Ezra. And so he's saying, listen, just go into the temple, protect yourself. Now this might seem innocent to us. It might seem like a rather maybe even good idea. Like, listen, a lot of the building's being done, at least take care of yourself. (laughs) But Nehemiah's response in verses 11 through 12 are this. He says, but I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understand, and I understood, sorry, and I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but that he had been, had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. So we might look at this and be like, what? How is Nehemiah get it right again? Like this guy's like, listen, I think they're going to try to kill you. You should protect yourself. He's like, I will not go in. Like what? I won't come down. I won't go in. How does he know? He's like, I will not go in. You've been hired to trick me. He sees through the lies of someone saying that they are from God and realize this is advice that Nehemiah in his flesh would want to hear, right? Like, listen, take care of yourself. And he's like, I really should, man. I've been working hard. And people are lying about me. They're saying mean things. Did you hear about the open letter? Like, I heard about the open letter. They read it. Right? Liars. Their pants are on fire. I had to say it once. I'm talking about lies. I mean, come on. So he, it's something he would want to hear. That's the trap, right? 
Isn't that the trap sometimes? When we're like, oh, that sounds way better than the right thing. You see, from our perspective, we think, how in the world does he know not to listen? Because I think I might listen to what this guy is saying, especially because he's saying that he's from God and he's telling me to go to church. Hello, go hide in the temple. Seems like a good idea. Here's some cultural context for you to understand what's actually happening here. If you feared for your life, if you thought you were going to be killed, you could actually find refuge in the courtyard of the temple. It was an acceptable asylum, like a place that you could come and find refuge was in the courtyard of the temple. But he is told very specifically to hide inside of the temple and to close the doors. So there's no confusion here. He's telling him, go in the temple. According to God's law, only priests could enter the temple. He's telling Nehemiah that if he's afraid, it's okay to sin. Saying, listen, if you're scared, listen, you've been through a lot. You deserve this. Just go in, protect yourself. Violate God's law, he understands. Listen, if you're going through something, maybe it feels like your literal life is coming unraveled. And I know that there are a lot of us that are going through very serious things. I want to tell you unequivocally, unequivocally, doing something that violates scripture is not the life-giving solution God has for you. That's not the answer. Oh, but I deserve it. What are you talking about? You lack clarity. You lack clarity, you lack focus. Right now you care more about what you want to hear than what it is that God's will is saying. God is never going to direct you to violate his scripture. He's never going to direct you to violate his law. Nehemiah is not superpowered here. He's not sitting there being like, oh, I see it. You're lying. You've been hired. No, two plus two equals four. He goes, there's no way you're sent by God because God wouldn't tell me to violate his law. You're lying. You want to know how to identify a lie? Look at God's word. Look at scripture. Understand the truth of the gospel. And suddenly it's not like some mystical awareness. No, it's clarity of life. Like, wait a second. You're just trying to get me off mission. God doesn't, God's not telling me to do that. He wouldn't violate scripture. That's not God's will for my life. Don't get me wrong. I like hearing it. I wish I could choose that because my flesh is weak and I want to take that path, but that's a lie. If something is violating scripture, it's a trap and it's a lie and it doesn't matter who is telling you. And even if they're telling you that they're an agent of God <laughs> sent to you to tell you that it's okay to violate scripture, that is not the case. And just because it's persistent does not mean it's the case. And just because it's public does not mean it's the case. And just because it's continual, and, you know, the list goes on. Just because it's in your face, it doesn't mean that it's the will of God. It might mean that it's a lie. It might mean that you're in the midst of some type of spiritual battle and someone is trying to literally destroy you and it feels like you're being destroyed because there's a literal attack against the continuity of your family, the continuity of the stability of your life, the will and direction that God has for you and your one and only life. Maybe there's a lot on the line. So don't come down. 
Look at what the word of God says. says, no, I can't come down. I will continue to do the will of God. I will rise up, not because of my own strength, but I will pray to God that he will strengthen my hand so I can continue the work that he's called me to do. Can you imagine if we would be carriers of truth and identifiers of lies? When we choose to violate scripture, it's a trap that will bring more pain and heartache. It's not the answer we want. God's will never includes violating scripture. You want clarity in decision-making? Look to scripture. You may not like the answer, but it's not as hard to find as you think. You can have clarity. You can have the clarity that Nehemiah had. Verse 13 says, For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way in sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. It's a trap. It's a trap. And he saw it. Fear is a tactic. When we're afraid, we make poor choices. We get off mission. We, we make desperate decisions. And when I mean not just afraid like fearful, I mean afraid of what other people think of us versus being fearful of God. We respect others and what they say about us more than what God says about us. The tactic is to capitalize on this fear. And verse 15 goes on and says that the wall was built in 52 days. He built a wall, rebuilt a wall around a city in 52 days. It's remarkable. It's remarkable what God can accomplish both in and through us when we make ourselves available and allow the clarity of the gospel to focus us. Built a wall in 52 days. Imagine what we could accomplish if we just said we can't come down. If we leaned in to the mission of making disciples, if we were truly the hands and feet of Jesus at every turn and made ourselves available and said, God, help us identify the lies and allow us to live in line with the truth of the gospel the force that could be impacting this community, surrounding communities, this region, for God's glory and for our remarkable joy. This life is not about what we do. It's not about vocation. It's how we do it and who we do it for. It's not about what we do. It's how we do it and who we do it for. Are you doing everything for the Lord? Are you living your one and only life with gospel-centered clarity? If so, you are doing a great work. So don't believe the lies. Don't believe the lies. And if you're in the midst of a lie, then I want to challenge you. What would it look like to have the clarity of the truth of the gospel in your life? As you're going through the difficulty and the valleys and the things that are hurtful and painful in your life, the gospel gives us perspective. We say every week, that the text requires something of us. And this week obviously is the same. And so I want to challenge you to ask yourself a question as we move into a time of response and worship. And the question I want you to consider is this, what lie will I replace with gospel truth? What lie will I replace with gospel truth? Some of you are sitting there believing lies right now. You're steeped in them. Well-meaning people have spoken lies into you and maybe even malicious people have spoken lies into your life. How will you address that lie with the truth of the gospel so that you can continue to move forward in all that God's called you to do? Let's bow our heads.
consider that for a moment. The reason I want you to bow your heads is because the worship team is going to make their way up and I just don't want you distracted. You can close your eyes or keep them open. I'm indifferent. I just want you to focus on the idea of a lie that you will replace with gospel truth. And for some of us in this room and watching online or after the fact, say, you know, there's a lie that I believe that I can save myself. There's a lie that I believe that God doesn't care, that God is absent. Maybe the lie that you can replace with gospel truth today is to surrender your life to the Lord, to come to a place where you ask him to be the Lord and leader of your life. And if you've never prayed that prayer, if you've never begun a relationship with the Lord, it's it's no special words that need to be repeated. It's an acknowledgement of the fact that he died for you. And in the quietness of your mind right now, you can just say, God, I'm, I'm a sinner, but you died for my sins. Would you forgive me? Come and be the Lord and leader of my life. And right now in the quietness of your mind, you can begin a relationship with the Lord and the truth of the gospel will begin to wash over all of the lies. And we wanna walk alongside you in that journey. In fact, if you're in this room, we would love to talk to you about your next steps and celebrate with you in the decision that you've made. I'll be available at the next steps area in the back of the room. A lot of people will talk to me about different things. You won't stick out or be embarrassed or anything like that. Or you could come forward. Eric will be up at the front praying with people. You can come to him and ask him about what your next steps might be. If you're watching online right now, live, and you just prayed that prayer for the first time, you can click request prayer. You can go into a private chat right now with one of our pastors, and he'll talk to you about the next steps that are available to you. If you're watching or listening later on in the week or at different times, you can always reach out through our website or via email. We want to talk to you about the decision you made so that you can continue to move forward in replacing lies with the truth of the gospel. For others of us in this space that are in relationship with the Lord already, I I want to challenge you. What does it look like to get into the rhythm? We never outpace this. We always have lies. We always have people that are trying to distract us, to take us off mission. And so what does it look like to identify the lie and replace it with truth? Say the lie is that I'm not valuable. The truth is God says I am. So what will I do with the truth of God, who God says I am? What are the lies that we're believing that are locking us up? And if you're in this space and and you're saying like, man, I I continually consider the lies of my life and I replace them with the truth of the gospel, then I would encourage you, what are you doing missionally? How are you making disciples? How are you making disciples? Are you you looking at it as simply parenting? Are you you looking at it as simply a brother or a sister or a a child or a parent? Or, Or have you put it through the lens of like, I am discipling them. Am I discipling them in the, in the ways of this world? that all that matters is dollars and cents? Or am I discipling them through through the grid of the truth of the gospel? God, would you strengthen my hands so that I would not come down from the work? Some of us, we've got to put some things aside and, and just lean in to the mission. So we're talking about your one and only life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray before we go into worship. Heavenly Father,
come before you and, and Lord, I can't help but be cognizant of the importance of this moment in the lives of some. Lord, I pray that that the biggest lie that you would come against right now would be the lie that it's too late. That there's nothing that can be done. Lord, you make all things new. And I pray that you would bring a peace that passes all understanding and a focus and an awareness that there is still life to be lived, that there's still decisions that can be made, and that it's not too late for the truth of your gospel to change absolutely everything. And so we declare ourselves available and we worship you because you are worthy to be worshiped. Let's worship the Lord together.
This is my surrender. This is my. 
I, uh, I articulate it in my prayer, and uh, it annoys me when I, <laughs> when I pray and when I preach in prayer. <laughs> um, but I feel like I feel like the Lord just laid on my heart that there are some there's some people in this room or watching online that have just come to the conclusion of one of the lies that it's just too late. That it's too late. I've, I've already damaged that relationship. I'm already too far down the road. I've already ruined my ability to disciple in that sphere or in this sphere or whatever. And that is a lie. It's a lie because that violates scripture because scripture says that his mercies are new every morning and that his gospel can transform any heart. And there is a new beginning. God is at work and he has strategically placed you in your family, in your relationships, in your sphere of influence. And so don't, don't declare that it's too late. You can determine things to be different today because of the person and work of Jesus. And you can leave this place on mission, believing that you're a part of what God is doing in your spheres of influence, in this region, in this community and beyond. Don't settle for a lie less than that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we pray for the truth of your gospel to invade every aspect of our lives. We declare ourselves available, Lord. We pray that you would use us and guide us and direct us, that we would have clarity and focus, Lord, that we wouldn't be lulled to sleep by the worries and the cares of this world, but that we would be determined and on mission for your glory. We ask all these things in your name. We pray you'd protect us as we go our separate ways and bring us together safely next week as we come together and celebrate the faithfulness of not coming down and seeing you build our lives and the lives of those we influence. In your precious name we pray. Everyone said, amen, amen. If you want prayer for anything, Eric will make himself available up here and I'll be available at the Next Steps area. Grab coffee, hang out a little bit. God bless you as you go. We'll see you next week. If I haven't met you yet and you're new, please stop by and say hi.